Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Combat Podcast, CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell, getting you fired up for what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. How excited am I right now to talk about men fighting in a cage? You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. Phoners for days, brothers, and we got a great show coming at you, recapping everything that came and went from UFC Moscow, setting the stage for what's going to go down in Brazil this weekend with a big-time light heavyweight matchup. Maybe even bring on the GOAT. Yes, Artem Lobov stops by this show to talk about some bare-knuckle bonanza going on this weekend with his rematch with Hick Diaz and really his star turn becoming the face of what's going on with bare-knuckle fighting championships. Will Connor ever join him there? You're going to have to wait to check that out. But let me not bury the lead or the leader of the pack any longer. The heart and soul of this podcast, the Hall of Famer himself, Sugar Rashad Evans. How is it, man? It is amazing, man. I love the introduction, man. I just didn't want you to stop. I just keep wanting you to go on and just keep adding things to that title, man. That's we got to think of more things for you to say next Getting time. <laughs> hot right now. That's me bringing that heat. That's that is. Heat. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Fellow earthquake survivor, right here. Bring in the damn heat. The third man on the pod, though. CBS Sports editor, writer, future Connecticut resident. So get ready for cold winters, high taxes, and hopefully a little bit more of a snob attitude. It's Brandon Wise, bro. What's up, BC? I think I've already got the snob attitude, though, towards you because you've been a kind of a jerk to me lately. Wow, wow. What, you see that? <laughs> air out the grievances on the air? What, do you want to spar me? I'll, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Come- <laughs> I mean, this is where it all started was that you backed out of the fight, and now you don't oh, want to do it. Oh, backed out. And oh, now you you're saying, oh, I broke the, the, the clauses of this contract. the spirit of the gentleman's agreement by, I don't know, sparring with uh, professional MMA fighters and uh, you know leaning on that age advantage against a washeth fellow like myself but you know that was your decision i'm not surprised mother yep knowing your character but that's fine you're getting out of that peninsula down there and bringing it up to my territory my backyard please send me location it's called connecticut bring it brother i'm happy for you all right you have the location you're still not gonna do anything about it send me location god all right all right you know you know what I'll do to you, though? I will fit ass. That's what I'm talking about, Rampage. Yeah. Hey, you guys fired up for MMA? Good Lord, man. You guys feeling what I'm feeling? I'm feeling it. All I'm right. feeling it. Yeah, sounds great. That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, let me uh, let me get this show going. Get you fired up. Um, did you guys see Nick Diaz resurfaced there on the uh, Ariel show? He had a nice, uh, nice being the operative word. Weird would be a better word. Interview. Um, is our boy okay, Rashad? Did you check that out? Yeah, man. There, there's something, man. There, there's something there. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, the the question that I read, you know, him being if he's jealous a little bit, you know, that that obviously he he couldn't say. I mean. The way he spoke about it, it was it was the funniest response I ever heard. But it was a very um, a sad one in response to. I mean, for one, I mean, whatever you do, you do to hang out and party, whatever the case may be. But when you can't stop it to do an interview that people are going to see that haven't seen you in a long time, then that spells out problem to me. And then that's something to worry about because, I mean, in his time, this dude was one of the greatest fighters, man. And it's, it's sad to just see, you know, what – what the, the the road of um of, of this this life can lead, you know, the whole famous life. Because I think a big part of why he is the way he is is because he he's just he's so envious of his brother. That's interesting. There's so much to pull from this weird interview. It's like you can lean on the trash talk comments to Masvidal. You can lean on where everybody else is. Is like, was he drunk? Was he high? What the hell is going on with Nick? But to pull out what you're saying there. That is interesting. It's interesting how Nate, every time the mic is in front of him, is like, no, my brother's the greatest of all time. Nick Diaz army and all that. You wonder how much, because the Diaz brothers do feel this extra level of responsibility for creating certain elements of the fight culture. And they, you know, and they'll call themselves the, the, the greatest of all time and all that. And, and certainly both have accomplished so much, like even more than they get credit. But mm-hmm. I wonder if he is jealous that Nate basically became this counterculture hero in this sort of I mean- uh, antidote to like the conor mcgregor type level star listen the, the reason why i say that is because when ariel asked him that question he's the one who interjected that oh what my brother stole my dream you know so that's something that was in his heart that's something in his mind and he kind of like said it in a way that that's what happened so i think that's something that it probably hurts him because he may have always wanted to be the fighter that his brother is and, yeah. and that's tough, man. It is. You know, they're, they're selling you all wolf tickets, people. You're eating them right up. Uh, Brandon, at 36 now, Nick Diaz, uh, one fight in the last six years, and that was that weird laydown fest against Andy Silva. Uh, did you feel like watching that interview? Not not only will he fight again, but should he fight again? Like, what? The, what I mean, are you going to go as extreme as some of these blokes on Twitter who are like, uh, please send help to his house now? I mean, yeah, dude, like I I was just so uncomfortable. It was like one of those interviews that I'm watching with my hands over my eyes, like just dude, just put like put a sentence together that's coherent because the whole thing was just so rambling where you're just to the point where it's like I know this is how he is and how his brother is when they're just like uncomfortable in interviews. But at the same time, none of it is making sense. And it's just like at some point, Ariel just needed to jump in and be like, are you okay?" Like. Are, are you sure you want to continue doing this? Because it was just, it but was sad. It was, it was sad. And the part that got me was just like when he, like when he, he almost changed the whole dynamic of the interview when he almost got upset for a second. And yeah. it was like, there was nothing to excite him, but, it, but his own words and his own thoughts. And I was just like, wow, it, it's, it was sad. It, it was it's interesting. It bad, it's funny, but he's kind of like, in some ways, he's always been like that, but it's certainly amped up. I remember one time uh, sitting off camera when Brett Okamoto of ESPN interviewed Nick, and this was like 2013, maybe. And afterwards, I was like, Brett, uh, 
Nick looked like he wanted to kill you. And he's like, no, no, that's just how he is. I was like, oh, okay, that's normal. That's great. That's our foundation. That's our baseline here. That's that's great. Uh, so, yeah, um, I don't know, man. Every time you see that dude on, on Instagram, though, or whatever, there's always some questionable video he is putting out there. But uh, shout out to the Nick Diaz Army, indeed. Um, you know, not everybody's that tough. Where I come from, you know, people like that get slapped. Yep, yep, that's what that way well, he comes from Stockton. That's what they do. They do the slap. All right, we're going to break open the show, get into all the good stuff that you want, but we're going to do that right after a quick word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, dig it. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. And we're back, BCB Dubs, the Hall of Famer, Sugar Rashad Evans. And Rashad, we're going to get into everything that happened in the weekend. One of the things that did happen was our boy, my boy, King Mo Lawal, did call it a career with his final Bellator fight, getting knocked out, unfortunately, by a fellow who I can't even remember his name at the moment, which kind of shows you it was time, it was the end. Uh, our man King Mo, the next day, by the way, signing with Major League Wrestling and appearing in a fight card. I wanted to use that as a transition to say, shout out to Mo, great career, glad he's going on out on his own terms. But are you still coming back in on your own terms, brother? Are we in camp? Where are we on the great Rashad Evans 2.0 return? You know, uh, Actually, I don't. I don't know to be honest, because the truth of the matter is, like, I enjoy training, and I'm and I'm there. Like, you know, if if something like, for instance, I'm to the point where I'm just taking it as it goes. You know, like my body feels amazing. I'm training hard every single day, and you know, if if there's an offer that makes sense, then I'll do it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if nothing happens, then then nothing happens. You know, and and that's and that's just the way it is because. I'm not I'm not to the point where I feel like I need to force things in life anymore. I feel like whatever is to be is to be and it'll come to me and it'll happen. So to answer your question, if it happens, it happens. I'm just ready for it if it does. I like it. I like this Zen version of Rashad. <laughs> he's, he's chilling. He's ready. The abs are there. They are there. Check his Instagram account. This 40-year-old guy's ready. But, uh, yeah, I like the idea of not forcing it. Hey, if the right name, the right time, the right offer, mind you, should come your way then uh, it'll be a good conversation. It'll be a good talk to have. Uh, This past weekend, though, the big stories did come out of Moscow in the UFC fight night card. And that featherweight fella, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, getting a decision win there, taking over in a fight that oddly produced, really takes in both directions, Gets a unanimous decision, two rounds to one on all three scorecards against Calvin Cater. There was some action. There was also a late fade from Zabit. Rashad, from the idea that we thought, if he can get through the dangerous Calvin Cater, that we are now talking title. We are now talking the idea of Zabit 
on deck, the winner of Max and Volkanovsky in December. Let's do that thing. Are you in that same line of thinking after this performance in light of saw a lot of people going there? I told you there. He's not the guy we thought he was. What's your take coming out of this fight? Yeah, I mean, my 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 beliefs in him is even more affirmed because of the fact that, you know, what I see him do in the cage, the, 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 the fluidity in which he moves, you know, the way he's able to chain moves together without any kind of tell at all and just his, just creativity inside that cage. You know, it, it looks like, you know, he's playing at a different level than everyone else is. I, I, he did fade at the end, but the reason why I believe he faded, faded was the fact that, you know, he almost didn't fight because he had a staph infection, a blood infection. And I think that blood infection, when you're taking antibiotics because he had to take antibiotics to clear it up, the antibiotics does like a little reset to your body and it harms you in a cardio aspect big time. So... I, I do believe the antibiotics and everything that he did to treat his blood infection did cost him in the Carter department. But I, I still believe, even with him still fading, he still was was in control. I think part of him did fade, but another part was the fact that Calvin Cater figured something out. And he figured out if he started going forward, then it makes it harder for Zabit to do all these creative t- things that he's going to do. You know, a lot of times what happens is, is people when they go against someone who has a lot of movement and 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 give them a lot to look at, you can't help it but end up looking at them and you end up staring at them and staring at them, you know, it, it stifles your technique because while you're watching, this guy's executing what he wants to do and he's putting you in his trick bag. But until you just say the hell with it and move forward, then you start to find openings. And I think that's what Cater found. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I saw you know, a lot of great stuff from Zabit. I was more in line with what you're thinking. I saw his control of sort of that middle distance, and he's giving you the Zabit-type spectacular things, but he's doing it more in feints to set up other action, and he's got creative strikes. And for me, the idea of, like, if this fight was a a preparation, a place setter for him to face a guy like featherweight champion Max Holloway, who's all offense all the time, coming at you, high volume, smart, educated setups, I feel like Zabit kind of fought the perfect fight here against Cater, at least for those first two rounds, where he really showed you that he's of that elite level. He's going to have a lot of tricks up his bag to be able to defend that. And and I know when Zabit says things like, I'm only operating at 40% up to this point in my career, you've only seen that much of me. I know that people can roll their eyes when guys say that, but I think because of his style, it's actually true. If you pressure a guy like this, who's this skilled and controlled and set up and ready to sort of counter you in creative ways, you will pull the best out of him. In this Mm -hmm. case, yes, the third round fade was a thing. The illness also seemed to be a thing. Plus, Calvin Cater is a good-ass fighter, and he put it together, and he went after it. But, Brando, I feel like this was the best type of performance to prepare him for a max because... He didn't go for many takedowns against Cater, which is a big part of his game. And you're not going to take Max Holloway down. That's just the way it is. You're going to have to fight defensive against that high-volume style. Where are the haters coming in and telling you, I think he needs a few more seasoning fights first? Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I I do like what you're saying about how it it felt like a preparation fight. And I think Calvin doesn't get as much respect and note as he should for being as tough as he is because – he didn't go out in this fight. He went out there and put on some volume strikes of his own and looked decent. I mean, Zabit is a is such a different animal. Like he's a six foot dude fighting at 145 pounds. Like it almost shouldn't be fair. Like 
Calvin has a game that could be a top 10 game at some point in, in the, in the featherweight rankings. And for him to be able to at least stay with Zabit for a while in that fight, I think is the more impressive thing. And I think that shows more that Zabit is already in the top three or top four in the division and could contend with those guys. Like any of those guys would be an interesting fight with him at now. Like if he even fought Volkanovsky or Holloway, I'm really interested to see how that looks. Especially Volkanovski because he's so short compared right. to him. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Rashad, have we seen anyone exactly this package as a featherweight? I mean, this is sort of like so unique where I'm like, how are you even going to give critical analysis against it? He's doing things we don't see guys do with this package. No, I, I, I don't think so. And I think it's because he's such a freestyle fighter. And, he, and by that, I mean, he doesn't have one style that he favors. You know, he's just as good as, you know, his wrestling as he's good as his jujitsu and his striking and he does everything so even and to his credit you know i trained with him in jersey for a while and um you know with the things that i see him do in the gym he has not yet pulled off in in a fight and i see him do some crazy acrobats inside the gym and the thing and the thing is that the reason why he gets so good at doing this is because him and his dagestani crew that he rolls with after every single practice they stay after for about an hour to 30, you know, to, to, to at least at least 30 minutes or an hour just doing these moves and they practice. It's like a randori session, which is like a light drill session where you have a lot of positive affirmations in in the techniques that you pull off. But it's only creative, only off the wall type of techniques. And they start to get really, really good at just practicing this movement. So when it comes real time, it just flows like like a just a, like a regular jab. Love it. I love the artistry that he brings. He certainly seems to have the right mindset. And even if you're just going to regionally stereotype and say, is he Dagestani? Okay, he has the he, he is of that elk. <laughs> he is that dude. I mean, most of these dudes are that dude, but he definitely seems ready for the level, the pressure, everything that comes with that. I kind of want to see now who's coming out of that fight. Max and Volkanovsky, 245, a loaded card. We can't wait for that fight. But don't go anywhere. UFC matchmakers, but up. Give this guy what he deserves, which is a title shot. He proved it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Brian Ortega still hasn't won a fight yet from that damaging loss against Max Holloway. I know he's going to come back soon, but I don't know. It's interesting. I've heard people say, by the way, should Volkanovski win, then maybe you would see UFC go in that direction. Maybe you'd see them rush Ortega into that if he beats Korean Zabi. Other people think a Korean Zabi win over Ortega is a guaranteed title shot because of the market you can appeal to with, with a fighter like that. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's wild. Featherweight's back. It's fun. They're doing Absolutely. big business there. They bang, Brandon. Brandon. They bang, bro. They bang, they bang bro. Let me bang with somebody. They bang, okay. Let somebody stand up and bang with me. Yeah, I'll bang. Let's do it. All right. Um. We also saw the, the really the big pull on this card was this heavyweight co-main event came together quickly. Last minute, Greg Hardy running in there against Alexander Volkov. He wanted to prove himself. We pretty much expected it to get his ass kicked. Neither really happened or did it. It's interesting. Greg Hardy loses a 3 nothing decision on all three scorecards, 30-27. Volkov played it safe. He was efficient. He used his jab. He did everything he was supposed to short of going for a finish. But now we got a great Greg Hardy's performance here, Rashad. Didn't just walk into the first shot and get knocked out. Didn't at the same time ever look like he was in the fight. What's your takeaway from this? Uh, first of all, yeah, I thought that Greg Hardy, he did an amazing job. Um, just, for, just for one, I mean, he's stepping in at a short notice, and I think stepping in at a short notice may have helped him because he hasn't 
had a chance to make it such a cerebral process. You know, you do that when you go to camp. So I think that helped him. But at the same time, it was what I was impressed with is how he worked through adversity. And and when you have something like a broken hand, you know, one of your weapons, are, are you know, is, is gone. And I've always, you know, liked, you know, always, always, you know, thought of fighting as like, you know, you're like a jet fighter and you're in war. And as you are in war, you know, different parts of the plane start going down before, you know what I'm saying? Like there's different aspects of you start getting picked apart. And that's what happens in a fight. You know, you go in a fight and you feel, you know, 95%, but then you start fighting and, as you, you know, you may injure your hand with a punch or your elbow's not working right or your, your leg's a little damaged. And some fighters don't take that accumulation of damage on their body well. They start feeling desperate. They, they, sometimes they feel like they want to quit. The fact that he stayed in there, the fact that he mentally bu- bu- uh, buckled down and he was still in the fight and kept going forward, I was impressed with that. With Volkov, what people don't understand is that when you get ended the way that he got ended by Derek Lewis when he was winning the fight just with mere seconds and all he really had to do was just run away. And and to have that experience happen, that is some true like PTSD. That is a that is a traumatic situation. And when you get back into the octagon, it's really hard to just jump back in there like that didn't happen. Because somewhere in that in that exchange, maybe he got punched with a jab, maybe he got caught with something. He thought for a second, uh oh, this is what happened when I got caught with, you know, Derek Lewis. And you go into that panic mode a bit, but getting the time out there, having the chance to work out his techniques. It kind of exercised some of those demons, you know? That's a very fair take, and Volkov hadn't fought in the year plus since that fight. And there were certain moments, to give Hardy credit, where he'd leap in with a left hook out of nowhere, and he'd be like, oh, whoa, does he, do we have something here? He was never able to put anything together outside of one punch at a time. I did sound like I was slamming him off the top because he really was never in this fight. I certainly was impressed that he went the distance, that he didn't gas out. I'm talking about Greg Hardy, obviously, that he didn't um, walk into something, that he really looked like a top 20-ish heavyweight who's getting better in the sense that he had professional-level defense and ability to linger against a somewhat top opponent in Volkov. So he answered all the questions of, is he for real on a baseline level of, like, is he a joke or is he for real against elite, you know, somewhat elite guys? How much more can he add to this, though? Because it was like, it was almost this weird thing where the brand of Greg Hardy gets elevated. He proved a lot in this loss. Mm-hmm. But does he have a ceiling where he can prove a lot more? I know heavyweights get better with age. I know he's only been fighting for two years. I don't know offensively if I'm seeing that there's much growth or room for improvement there. Like, is this is he going to level out faster than we realize? Okay, defensively, toughness, he's there right now. But would you have liked to seen him attempt to do more offensively in the in this fight? Yeah, I think I think I would love I would love to see him do more offensively. But here's the part of him in this whole in this whole growth uh, growth process is the fact that he has to see when the opportunities are there. He's still so green, he doesn't see the opportunities. Like if he was a seasoned fighter, he may have seen okay with a tall fighter, I can't throw one single punch. I have to tilt. To, uh, throw two or three punches in a combination because I'm going to catch him leaning back on his heel. Now, now when he gets more into the game, he's going to understand when he's going against guys like that. It's you know fast, 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 power, power, power to get inside the, in the distance and then release the powerful shots. But he doesn't know that, and and I think that's something that can grow. And I think also 
the fact that he can uh, learn to use a cage more. He's a big guy. He's a strong guy, you know, and he moves forward. Maybe he can learn to press people up against the cage and work a little bit of Randy Couture's wall and brawl. There you, go. you know, something that a lot of heavyweights still don't utilize to this day. And, and I think that, you know, that that's a tool that he can use. But I think there's all kinds of tools that he can put in his in, in his hat. Yeah, and don't I say think Arsenal. that he can, He's he can had throw. plenty of weapons. Yeah. Um, uh, Brandon, are you feeling that this is only the beginning of good for Greg Hardy coming off of this? I I think so. I'm still just like what Rashad was saying. I'm just still I need to see more. You know, like this was impressive, especially against somebody like Volkov, who's been a veteran of the fight game for so long and and is ranked in the top ten of UFC. It's still just like I want to see the complete game. Like to, I was talking about this with somebody in the office the other day. It's like Greg Hardy used to play defensive end in the NFL. Was a speed guy. Why aren't you using your speed and just taking that guy down the whole fight like just run into like just tackle him basically so basically be like lesnar against heath herring right you're just like i'm just gonna run at you as fast as i can and knock you over but but how is like to me it's like how is volkov gonna stop that you know i mean i mean here's the thing i i get it he was that in football but the same reason why he can't do that the same reason why someone who wrestled in college can't just run and take a shot because there's there's a big transitional point from punching to takedowns that that some people it takes a long time to feel comfortable doing. But you you're right. He can't put that in his arsenal because he does have that in his in his DNA. But it's like it's like what we were talking about before with Ben Askren when he we watch his stand up and it's like, oh, my yeah. God, dude, like it's not going to I don't feel like it's going to be like that with Greg Hardy going for takedowns. You know, it's yeah. just we just haven't seen him haven't do seen it. Him so do we it. don't know if he can. Right. It's interesting. I, I the next step on this matchmaking tour for him is going to be interesting. Do you go right back to the well of someone of this level? Do you look at this as the type of L you can certainly learn from and grow from, and then maybe take a step back down in matchmaking and get him a win? It's uh, it's going to be interesting. He's 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 not a train wreck. He's not a celebrity experiment. He's showing you now that at the very least he is a fighter. Now it's the question becoming how good can he actually be? Sure not. I, we're still not sure. This was a plus, though. Shout out to Greg Hardy for the survival and the professional look of what he did in there. I would like Volkov to put the foot on the gas and see what he's got here, but I get it. Stuck with that jab and did it. Brandon, are you going to sit here and pop for your boy, hot chocolate Danny Roberts, sending Zelim Imadayev to um, Russian hell? via KO punch in round two. That's your guy. You freaking love Danny Roberts. Oh, he's not just my guy. He's also Rashad's guy, but thank you. He would, he looked amazing. That knockout was so violent and so almost reckless that it was just beautiful to watch every time I saw the highlight on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, Ima Dive is one of those guys, like, I, I've known him since he came to this country, like, because he was also trained with one of my coaches in uh, Roberto Flamingo. And I met him when he first came to Florida. So, you know, I, I was pulling for him. Like, there's a big part of me that, that, you know, got love for him. But at the same time, hot chocolate is my boy, you know. So I had to give all the love to hot chocolate. And I was just so happy for hot chocolate just because, I mean, he's been on a rough road lately. And to see him go out there and, and win the fight the way he did, man, that, that was good to see. Just to see just that release of just all that energy that he's been holding out. Because when you're on that bubble, when you're on that bubble and you can't seem to find a win – Oh my gosh! It, it seemed like you know you're like, what am I doing this for? And then you go out there and you finish it like that. You're like, that's why I'm doing it. You know. <laughs> 
uh, you listeners may have missed on the undercard when welterweight David Zawada scores a first-round submission via triangle choke over Abubakar Nurmagomedov, Habib's cousin. But uh, Conor McGregor did not miss this fight. <laughs> Instead, he came all over on Twitter. Well, that's a poor choice of words there. But he uh, he went after it on Twitter and uh, attempted to send cousin Nurmagomedov to hell only to delete the comments afterwards. To me, this was just another like, oh, Connor's watching the fights. But this got a ton of uh, of traction on social media. The fact that Connor's, I guess, clowning a guy who got submitted in basically the same way Connor did against Habib in that title fight at 229. I took more issue, Rashad, from the, hey, you're a badass. You know, you got ball standpoint. If you're going to put those words out there, don't delete them afterwards. Like, yeah, call, yeah, the war's still on. It's never over, according to you. So I'm no problem with him calling out Habib's cousin and making fun of him. Was Habib's cousin one of the guys that ran in the cage and attacked him? I'm not even sure if I remember. But, like, it's all one big we're against them. We right. get it. Um, what's the big deal here? Yeah, I, I do feel exactly what you're saying. I mean, the whole pulling a comment back after you said it. That's that's not very Connor ish, you know. What I'm saying it kind of goes against his his image, but his image has been suffering a bit, you know. That the whole the whole persona of the Connor has been shaken, you know. So maybe this is him just trying to be like, you know what? I do want to get that going again, but right now might not be the best time because I'm going to Russia next month. I don't know, but I would just say this: that was a very unlike Connor ish move, man. I mean, yeah. That's true. The Brandon, internet is forever. That's Brandon, you've been, Brandon, you've been in the pilot's chair on the uh, piss or get off the pot, fight or get off my timeline, which is a statement I used this week. Um, I, I'm really stealing it from you from saying, look, I'm not going to mention this man's name until he fights. What are we doing here? Now we got Habib coming out and saying Connor needs to win 10 times before I'm going to fight him. Um, should Connor just come back January 18th and, and, and shut up? I mean, are we at that level? Are we gonna get? Are they gonna announce this fight friggin' already? What the hell's going on here? Yep, they just need to announce it. Um, what's his name? Uh, John Kavanaugh posted today that he will no. You can no longer go by the gym SBG in Ireland from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for unknown reasons, apparently. But oh. everybody's basically taking that as Connor's training for six hours a day now. Yeah, that that would be it. No more pictures. No more autographs. Uh, it's time. It's time to get serious. No more of anything we don't need in this gym. No more dick pills. No, right. no more of that either. It's time to get serious. Um, look, I'm going to be fired up. We all will. But let's just fight. Stop tweeting. Stop doing anything. Fight. 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 Because his reputation doesn't matter unless he gets back in there and wins and keeps fighting. That's the fight game, okay? You can sell as much whiskey as you want. We don't care anymore when you tweet unless you are in there backing it up and fighting. Rashad, you don't have inside sources. Well, you may have inside sources, but uh, gun to your damn head. Who does this man fight? I think it's Cowboy. I mean, that's that's what has been, you know, kind of teased out there, and I think that's the fight that makes the most sense. You know, when you're looking at where where Connor's going to be coming back into, he's going to want to have a pro, high-profile fight, and it's going to be with a, a dance partner who dances to his tune. And I think I can't think of anybody better than a guy like Cowboy. I can't think of a guy anybody more deserving than Cowboy. So it's got to be Cowboy. And you will skip to my loop. Yeah, I mean, you want to make that guy dance to your tune, indeed. Um, Br- Brandon, is there any curveball we're not seeing? I mean, we, we, we opened the show talking Nick Diaz. We can probably talk a little more based on some comments he said in that interview about his own potential future. Uh, 
how much would you pop for some kind of uh, Connor Nick Diaz curveball? Because what if Nick is so angry at Nate for stealing his thunder and stealing the idea of the BMF, which is really him? Maybe, uh, maybe we roll that out there. Would you? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the numbers on Nick and Connor? <laughs> no, I do. No, I don't want to see Nick fight. Don't stop doing this. All right, well, Nick did yeah. say in one breath that he's never coming back, and then a minute later in that interview was like, it's up to Dana. It's up to them. You want me to fight? I'll fight. Yeah. Yeah, that, that won't be good. I mean, here's the thing about it. Like like I said, if your activities that you enjoy to do in your private time interfere with you in your in your time where you're on the clock, then you need – that's a problem. That's a problem. You can't be out there – like if he's, if he couldn't stop – Whatever he likes to do to do an interview to make sense, and if he thinks that is making sense, then it's like, dang, you know, yeah, there's a problem there. There certainly sounds like a problem there. I think you should shut shut up. You're embarrassing yourself right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are you all still right, all right, GSP? <laughs> come on, there's no need for that. Uh, Rashad, I've, I buried the another lead there. You were in Moscow. You were on the ESPN broadcast for UFC Fight Night. How how was it in Rushka? Did the uh, did the uh, did the ladies love him some some sugar Rashad there when you got off the plane here? What's going on? I mean, Russia's amazing. It's, it's an amazing place. It was, you know, I got to tour Red Square and see, and, and from someone who actually lived in Russia, so they had, you know, a different kind of attachment and, and a lot of pride to it. So it was good to hear the uh, the history of the country. But uh, you know, Russia's always amazing. Uh, it was cold, but. You know, it was a uh, it was a good trip. How are the fight fans inside the arena comparative to to uh, American, the American affliction t shirt wearing, hair gelled, uh, bugar sugar using fight fans in America? How what's it like in Russia? Very quiet, very quiet, very respectful. They did, uh, they they will boo, but they're they're, they're very quiet. You know, it, it's surprising. At one point, they, they weren't playing any music in between the rounds. So it was just like this eerie quietness throughout the whole stadium. I'm just like, dang, I don't know if they, they weren't playing it for religious reasons or whatever. They didn't want to offend anybody, but they did, they weren't playing it. But then once the live card started from like the main card, then they started playing music. And it kind of lightened the atmosphere up. But before that, it's like, oh, man, this is kind of serious in here. Yeah, that seems like a very serious country. Uh, Brandon... To close on this whole Nick Diaz back in the limelight, yeah, he called out Jorge. Yeah, Jorge's manager puts out an Instagram video in response uh, with the Scarface audio. F the Diaz brothers, all that ish. That doesn't. What that should we care? Do we? Does that mean anything? We're not getting Jorge Nick tomorrow. So like, no, no. And I think that was more. In, it was the whole back and forth with him and Nate because Nate originally said he wanted the rematch and then he was like, yeah, never mind. I'm going to not fight anymore. And now he's like, oh, wait, never mind. I never said I was retired. It's the Diaz brothers. There's no other way to describe well, that's it. That's a good transition right into Nate making big headlines this week with exactly that. Rashad, how do you how should we? OK, how should we feel that? All right. Separate the bizarre Nick interview for a second. Just Nate's constant like. I got robbed. They hate me. They're out against me. I'm retired. Wait, I never said I was retiring. I'll fight you today. Like, is that Diaz being Diaz? Are you are you fatigued on it? Where are we at? Yeah, I mean, it's Diaz being Diaz, you know. And I think that you know, there's people like like in your terminology, there's people who pop for that. People love that kind of stuff. That they love that kind of behavior out of them because for them, you know, it's still saying f the system at all costs. Even though you see, you know, he he does 
play with the system because he, he's where he is right now. But he's always got to have the persona of F the system. And this is just him, you know, having a persona. So I think that, you know, the people who are fans of him love him that he's just never gone going with the flow, you know? Yeah, I do. It's just it's so tough as a fan when we endured the three years of him gone at the peak of his physical and commercial prime and come back with two really fun fights and now he's this thing. But his it seems like from what he went through with USADA uh, before the 244 fight week through the stoppage, which we all said, well, look, was seems smart. But to him, it's sort of like you're robbing me from being who I am and doing what I love. Now you extend that to the idea that it seems like he doesn't believe he'll get the Masvidal rematch. It seems like typical Nate, which is typical distrust, distrust of the system. You know, the idea like, well, maybe I will go away for three more years because I'm going to do things on my own terms, which makes me a little nervous about this. If you are a fan of him, which I don't see how you couldn't be a fan of him. Who the hell is he going to fight next? And what would those um, those uh, negotiations look like? And I say it from this perspective. It's not going to fight Connor in the trilogy because you'll see that fight, but it, it does, it's not time right now. Probably not going to get Masvidal. If Nate is back in a feeling of distrust, right when it seemed like he was finally like playing ball with the machine and the company, he's obviously believes he has a BMF value. I mean, three of his last four fights were pay-per-view headlining blockbuster scenarios. He probably feels like, okay, pay me or give me a title shot or put me in the main event or whatever. I don't know if the promotion can do that right now. Brandon, is there a short list off the top of your head that could be a main event? that would draw a ton of interest and could get Nate the kind of money that he deserves? Because I don't consider somebody like Nate motivated by money, but I do see him as somebody who makes a hard line and says, I'm no longer going to fight for less than what I deserve. There is somebody who he was actually recently scheduled to fight that is recovering from some surgeries right now that just lost an interim title, I think, that would fit that mold in Dustin Poirier. I think once Dustin gets healthy Mm -hmm. and once Nate heals up from those cuts... Why can why not make that a main event? That's a hell of a fight. That is a hell of a fight. Put this guy in the war room. That's an excellent <laughs> fight. Yeah, come on to get Shelby on line one. Uh, that is a fight that also you can say, okay, well they're in line within the lightweight ranking, so winner really takes a step closer back to that title picture. You don't have to put any BMF on it. You don't have to put an interim title. They just seem like. The company always seems pre-BMF. They seem reluctant to to pay Nate what he deserves and give him that chance. I mean, there's always two ways to look at everything. And I'm sure certainly right now, I'm sure you can make a case against Nate and be like, dude, you just got everything you ever wanted. Like, why are you now still sour and surly? But, you know, I don't I don't know what it's like to go through that whole USADA thing and feel like the company's still against you. And I don't know. Dude, we'll never figure out what's going on inside their head. All right. Okay. (laughs) true they smoke two joints in time of peace and two in time of war okay they smoke two <laughs> joints before they smoke two joints and then they smoke two more all right that's that's what i'm talking about so but i think honestly i think the true the way to understand and the secret to understand the diaz brothers is truly understanding nick diaz's interview like is that possible Rashad? <laughs> is that actually possible breaking the code <laughs> there's gotta be a code to the hidden language uh, um, I mean, there's uh, there's no shortage of fun matchups Nate can make. I hope he would accept them. I mean, put him against any lightweight or welterweight banger. Put him against any name, put him against anything. 
I don't know. He's not in a title picture right now. He just lost a BMF title fight. Connor's not ready for that third fight. Where the hell do you go next? It's interesting. Brandon, you got any other news for us to digest and debate here? I know that the people are itching to hear some Lobov in their life, and they're going to get that, all right? BKFC's coming. What else you got for me? Mm-hmm. I mean, we got Kamaru Usman now is is starting to talk about Jorge after Jorge's big win. He thinks that Jorge's more hype than uh, reality. And he's interested in the fight. How do you feel about that? Um, I like this talk. I like this this type of stepping up and saying it. I think that he has, certainly has the kryptonite for somebody like Jorge Masvidal. If I can wrestle like Usman, yeah, I'm going to come out and do and, and talk like that. Man, if you're Usman right now and you had to take the long-ass road to finally get in your title shot, to finally get in the recognition, to finally get in all that, you're getting... Colby Covington as a gift, and I say that from the idea that you're being matched up with a guy who can sell the fight on his own and will willingly play the role of ultimate villain that will only give you the rub like Chael gave Andy, right? Andy could get Jorge after that, and both fights are very winnable, and I'd favor him in both. It's a good time to be Kamaru Usman right now, right? Absolutely. I mean, come on, Marty. Let's do this thing. I like it, too. I, like, I think it's a great matchup for him. You know, I, I do believe that, that Masvidal is legit, though. I do think he is legit. But I think that what Kamara brings to the table, I just like his package better. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow, all right. Uh, well, I can't disagree with you on that one. Um, Brandon, have we ever seen Kamaru hurt, compromised, tested? I mean, he seems to be always setting the tone, dictating the pace, and so far ahead in every fight. Not that I can remember. I mean, he obviously in his in his lone professional loss, he was hurt at some point, but not like that we've actually seen in a fight. He obviously told us about the times where he's walking around hurt during training camp or before or after a fight where he had an injury after before the the actual fight itself. But he never shows that in those in those moments. Yeah. So I mean, he's tried to take down Rashad in practice before and got stuffed straight up. So uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a sobering moment. I would give him this piece of advice, though, if he fights Jorge. It's not open for debate. Uh-oh. The chin has to be tucked. That, I mean, because that guy is on a roll. Um, Brandon, there was some or Rashad even. There was some feeling coming in that if Usman defeats Covington, that maybe UFC wouldn't go in this direction. Dude, Jorge Masvidal is too hot of a brand right now for him not to end up in this title shot. Who cares the opponent, the style, the breakdown, any of that? These guys aren't like ex-teammates and best friends. They'd fight, right? The money would be there. The the event would be there. Jorge would sell this event along with the rub that Kamaru will get from Covington. And guess what? Kamaru's going to beat that ass. Let's wake up on that, okay? Colin Covington has overachieved to get to this point, but Kamaru's going to beat that ass. you got to make that fight if you're the UFC. I think you're absolutely right. You have to make that fight. I mean, listen, you know, there's there's nobody hotter than Masvidal right now in that weight class. Just with the whole, you know, with the whole rock behind him, the president, you know, you know, singing his praises, all those things. Like he's the hottest guy in the UFC right now. So I think that it only makes sense for him to to be put in that title position. Now, now the thing is for him is like, okay, do I really want that, or do I really want to just keep this? This role that I'm in right now, the special niche role that I created where I'm really in control of, you know, what's what, you know, he right now he's a BMF champ. You know what I'm saying? So he's he's created something in his own right. And uh, does he stick with that niche or does he really try to go for the gold? What we've learned from Rashad Brandon is is that uh, 
Jorge's the hottest fighter right now, and Kamaru's got a great package. So, you know, that, that sounds like a matchup. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. All right. Uh, what else you got for us, Brandon? Anything else? You got any thoughts? You got any other news? Come on. Give it to me. I'm ready. I'm fired up. Let's talk about Israel Adesanya and, and what they're discussing for his next fight against Yoel Romero. Izzy's the only person, I think, who's ever said he wants to fight Yoel Romero. But apparently UFC says they don't think this fight will sell. Get the hell out of here. Look, if Dana wants to make the stance, which he's already done, of I'm sorry Romero's one and four in his last whatever with two missed weights. We talked about that last time. You want to make that case even though I thought Romero won two of those fights? That's fine. You should still make the fight. But to try to say this won't sell, are you kidding me? Rashad, talk to me. You've been in some war rooms. You have company stock, I'm sure. What the hell is he thinking right now? No, this this is definitely so. I mean, listen, I think I think this will be the biggest test of Izzy's career, and the fact that this is the old guard officially changing changing over. You know, this would be the this would be the official torch passing of the old guard, and I think it's almost mandatory that you do have it because you have this monster of a man in Romero who's who's legendary in his fights for almost being not human you know people talking about oh man when i fought this guy it was like i was kicking steel and when i punched him you know it it was it didn't even phase him he just kind of walked right through him he's not human i've heard this before from people who fought him i would love to see how izzy's tested with that because you look at a guy like izzy and you know he seems to get better every single fight as his confidence grow his skill levels getting grown and i just want to see has he grown that much has he grown that much where he makes a guy like Romero look as if, like, you know, he's a thing of the past? And, and see him, seeing him want the smoke, and you, it's 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 inspiring, it's encouraging, it's awesome. It, you mentioned the old guard. It reminds me of John Jones in that short period of time, Rashad, fighting all the names of that loaded light heavyweight era that you came up in and won a championship in and wanting all of them and getting all of them. That's how you do it. Brandon, though, if we're trying to look at the UFC's comments and trying to play reverse psychology matchmaker, would this be Dana and company saying, Adesanya just won the title? He is a potential world star, not world star hip hop world. He's a potential world star. Uh, we want him to fight John Jones one day. We want him to sell a lot and do great things. Why would you roll the dice against such a alien wild card in Romero when we can go have him fight Jared Cannonier, who's done a great job and probably loses? Let's do that instead. Do you think it's that or do you think it's them just trying to negotiate prices down? Probably a fair point. Because <laughs> I feel like guy? Just, who, who's just Romero's make... power broker? Is that a, is he an Ali guy? Who Romero? Uh, no, 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 he's not. I don't think so. He's a Melky Cow guy. That's a... right. That's right. Man, it's like there's there's a few powers in this game. There's there's a yeah. It's a, it, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I I don't think it, it could be anybody but those two though, right? Cannonier would be the default backup plan. Romero, look, the window's closing. The guy's like 50. He's a freak of nature, but the window's closing. Let's get him in as many big fights as possible. I don't know who else it could or would be. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else. All right. Uh, Brando, I'm sure you're going to tell me next about my favorite UFC fighter, right? Rose Nami Yunus? You're damn right. I love me some Thug Rose, all right? I listened to her interview with Ariel Hawani. I felt the feels. I love that she went back to her old, old coach. 
worked out, talked with him, cried with him, and found her passion again. Rashad, Mm. you know how great Rose looked in round one against Jessica Andrade, how she looked like maybe the pound-for-pound queen in that five-minute sequence. She has figured out how to be awesome and amazing. And if she figures out mentally how to heal, resolve, and bounce back from that, still time for her to be an all-timer. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the biggest parts of this game. It's such a big psychological game. You know, you, you know, the fighters that go in there, you have to be mentally on point. You have to have a belief about yourself that, that can go past your fear. And when that confidence is shaken in any kind of way, then it takes a long time to rebuild it. And it gets even harder because as a fighter, you're almost taught to, to, that you're not supposed to be afraid and you and you really don't really know what to put those feelings of fear because you're you're taught to fight against it everything's a fight against it but accepting those feelings of fear is something that we're really not taught taught to do which is just like I said you got to accept them you got to hold on to them you got to say you know what I'm experiencing this I'm feeling this you know I feel a little bit afraid and be honest with yourself because I think when you try to fight it then I think it 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 almost robs you it almost makes you feel as if like it almost makes you want to run away from it. And I've seen fighters time and time again mentally are shaken after they have a traumatic experience inside the cage because they haven't, you know, taken the steps to psychologically get themselves believing in themselves again. I have so much respect for Rose because she's walked out this career like in front of our eyes. I mean, fighting for the title and essentially her first official UFC fight so early and losing and being open about, you know, her family and her own mental health battle and struggle i love when she stood up to the boogie woman and and and, you know was unmoved by that attempt at trash talk and then beats her twice and that second fight people forget to talk about was one of the best fights of this modern era in the women's game she can come back this is this is theater brandon the straw weights are where it's at it's always been where it's at we know there are names there's a whaley zong but we know about our other favorite fighter She's not the only one, I'll tell you that much. Uh, Brandon, with that note aside, um, how do you map out this future in the war room at 115? Rose wants back in. Who do you give her? Who gets Zhang Weili next? What's happening here? Oh, man. I feel like 115 for as hot as it is, is still kind of a mess just because of how quickly the belt has been shifting around. And... Everybody needs a fight now. No, I don't think anybody's currently booked for a fight that's in the top four or five. So you got to do some interesting matchmaking if you're Joe Silva. And I don't know. I feel like Andrade against Joanna makes a lot of sense. But I also – I mean, Joanna against anybody makes sense. And so does Rose for that matter. And you still have Michelle Waterson in there too. Well, Waterson lost, so she's technically out of the title picture. It's up to the UFC – who gets it now? I guess is Joanna most deserving, unless you just run Rose right back. But well, you well, wouldn't be running, running her back. back. You'd be running her back against a new champion, which you can't really do, right? She's coming off a loss. So you can't you can't run Rose back. Rose needs a setup, right? Rose needs something. Yeah, Unless yeah, she, she does. Maybe she you does. run Rose back against Andrade because they're both. In listen, Sean Sean Shelby, the match, matchmaker. He knows he knows what what where his got where his you know where his stock is, and he knows where the the fighters that you know that need to have a bounce back fight and Rose definitely needs to have a bounce back fight. I mean, she's 
I don't I don't think you just throw it right in there with you know with with the wolves again. You know, I think that that'll be a mistake just to, you know, let her get her belief in herself again. And uh, you got Thug Rose all over again. So what Rashad is saying is it's time for the Thug Rose Tisha Torres trilogy. That's really what he's saying, Brandon. <laughs> I mean, that's OK. I don't think Tisha's in that class anymore, but OK. OK. All right. I'll follow their journey on Instagram. Thank you. All right. Maybe I should unfollow. OK. Uh, uh, that's all you got, right? Is it time to get oh, into the God. bare knuckle business here? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, fired up. Uh, we're going to break down this fight. It is, it's an interesting fight. Say what you will so far about Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. They've given us a lot of craziness. Let's pause now and hear from their welterweight champion, arguably the face of what they've got going on there. It's go time. It's Artem Lobov coming at you right now. Enjoy. All right. It's not every day you get to talk to the GOAT of combat sports. He's BKFC welterweight <laughs> UFC veteran Artem Lobov and buddy fired up to talk to you. Big time fight this Saturday, Biloxi, Mississippi, BKFC nine and your rematch with Jason Knight. How you doing, man, in terms of the idea that you're like the face of what's going on there in bare knuckle territory. Yeah. What's up, Brian? Uh, thanks very much for talking to me. Really appreciate the time. Um, I feel good, yeah. I feel I feel incredible. You know, I look forward to putting on another show for the fans. Uh, you know, the first fight was so amazing that now I feel the pressure is on my shoulders to produce an even better uh, fight for everyone to see. Um, and I'm planning on doing exactly that on Saturday night. Uh, let's go back to April of this year, BKFC 5, same city, Biloxi, Mississippi. You and fellow UFC veteran Jason Knight, uh, let the hands go, to say the very least. It, it was a bloody all-time action war. There were people, Artem, that loved it. There were people that were almost cringing at it because it was so real and raw. What was it like to go through that? Uh, you know, it was incredible. To me, that's what real fighting should be about. It should be about action. You know, nobody wants to see two guys cuddling each other for 25 minutes, you know, humping the leg of each other. Or as you would see often in boxing, you know, jumping around, running around the ring. No, people are there because they paid money to see a fight. So it is your responsibility to give them that. If you're a fighter that fights on pay-per-view, that, that fights on paid events and is making money from it, it is your responsibility to entertain the crowd, to show them exactly what they are there to see. And that fight was exactly that. And that's why it went all over the world. And that's why everybody was talking about it. That's why most people called it one of the best fights they've ever seen. And certainly one of the best fights uh, this year. So I plan on doing exactly that uh, one one more time. You know, me and Jason going to meet in the middle and only one of us will leave. Wow. Wow. I, I think what people have loved about BKFC off the start is it feels uh, almost like illegal. And I say that in a good way. It feels like originally how UFC used to feel that you're watching this thing that's so damn real and raw and rugged. That there's a just from watching it at home, there's a rush that you get when you're watching it. That even in today's boxing and MMA, you don't always get. For a fighter, how different is it for you from that same standpoint that you're entering into something that's already dangerous to begin with, but you may get caught up even quicker here. This is sort of like next level. No, I absolutely love it. I'm finally in a sport where people want to fight, not cuddle. You know, I save the cuddles for the ladies. If I want to cuddle <laughs> someone, you know, I, I go to my girlfriend. Uh, here I am to fight. And Bare Knuckle FC does exactly that. 
you know, uh, when you pay to watch fight, go see a bare knuckle uh, event. You will see exactly that. If you're if you're go paying to go see boxing or if you're paying to go see MMA, you're not guaranteed that. Chances are you're gonna either see you know two guys running around the, the ring or you're gonna see uh, two guys cuddling each other. Not at bare knuckle FC event. There, you know, it says what it, uh, it does what it says on the team. Now, uh, you're coming off a, a, a big breakthrough win, the biggest fight in BKFC history in June when you took a somewhat disputed decision over former boxing champion Pauli Malignaggi. Artem, why do you think that MMA veterans have, have, have had more success thus far in transitioning to BKFC than boxers have? Yeah, well, exactly that, especially with uh, with Polis, you know, style. I mean, I don't know how, how he, there can be any controversy that I won that fight. You cannot win a fight by moving backwards. You cannot win a fight by being just defense. You know, defense shouldn't score any points. And then a successful defense surely should not allow the other opponent, shouldn't allow your opponent to score any points, but you shouldn't be scoring any points either. You cannot win fight by just running backwards the whole time. And that's exactly what happens. I was the aggressor in that fight. Uh, I would have done a lot more damage if Polly wasn't running the whole time. So that was an easy, easy win for me. But in terms of why uh, an MMA guy has more advantage in it, well, because clinch is a, is a big difference. You know, May plays a huge, huge part. And uh, the truth is that boxers are uh, quite amateurish in their clinch approach. You know, they they never really get a chance to work much in the clinch because clinch is not allowed in boxing. You know, when you end up in the clinch, the referee pulls you apart. That is not the case in MMA. So as a result. When you come to bare knuckle boxing where clinch is allowed, of course, an MMA fighter is going to have an advantage there. That's really interesting the way you broke that down. Uh, when you were building up to that fight with Paulie, it got out of control. It was exciting. It was uh, dirty. It was uh, there was spitting. There was hitting. There was some insults we don't normally see. Have you guys been able to bury the hatchet and find respect for each other after that big fight you had? Yeah, I mean, to me, what what else do I got loads of money from that fight. I gave him an ass whooping, and that was it, you know. So I, I, I got everything I wanted out of that one. All right. Well, this is a rematch of, of one of the fights of the year in any combat sport, like we talked about, you and Jason Knight. Now, here's the problem, Artem. The first time you bo- you beat him in his backyard of Mississippi, that guy's got Mississippi literally written on his skin. He's known for being the Mississippi mean. You won the first fight. Why is this rematch not in Gorky, Russia, or in Dublin, in your backyard? Well, uh, why not? You know, we started it in Mississippi, so let's end it in Mississippi. You know, uh, uh, to me, I, I absolutely love fighting there. You know, Mississippi, this is where the first ever bare knuckle belt was ever won, you know, uh, when John Sullivan won it down in Mississippi. So, you know, it, it has historic significance as well. And it's a great spot to do it, you know. So why not? We put on a show for the Mississippi fans, and uh, it's going to be incredible. And for me, it's no problem going into someone's backyard. I've done that my whole career, you know. No matter people, uh, you know, people like to talk about me doing this and that, but I can tell you one thing. I've never pulled out of a fight. I've never turned down a challenge. If I ever was offered a couple of challenges at the same time, I always took the hardest one. And this was no different, you know. Uh, Jason is a tough guy. He used to be top 10 uh, UFC fighter in the world, and I'm doing it in his backyard for the second time this year already. So uh, why not? Tune in, and you're not going to regret it. All right, that first fight, like we mentioned, all action war. You gave, you traded, you both were bleeding, you both were hurt and came back. How will this fight, the rematch, be any different, if if at all, than that classic first time? It won't. And that's why we're doing it. It's not going to be any different because people absolutely love the first one. 
So why would we do it any different? I want to please the fans. You know, I've got, I've built a brand. You know, when when you see the Russian Hammer name on the fight card, you know what's up. You know the fireworks uh, are going to be happening. You know that there's going to be action. It's going to be amazing. Don't blink. This is the message that I send when I fight. And I will continue to do that for as long as I live, for as long as I fight. You know, uh, to me, it's a matter of, uh, you know, respect and honor to my supporters. You know, when, when somebody tunes in, they look how much sports are out there for people to watch. So when somebody decides to pay money to watch just your fight other than everything else, you know, I take that very seriously. And I, and I make it, uh, you know, uh, it's an absolute must for me to put on a show and not disappoint my fans. So it's not going to be any different. It's going to be exactly what you saw the first time, but even more so. Well, you you certainly had built yourself a big name in UFC. You'd made evented cards. You'd been a close uh, teammate of Conor McGregor. But how much has becoming BKFC champion and winning these big fights really helped you raise your profile even more? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, that's been an absolutely incredible move for me, uh, BKFC. Uh, you know, and it suits my style. You know, I'm a guy that comes in and fights. You know, I don't really bother myself with the points. I don't. I don't ever think about the points. You know, I just go in there and I put on a show for the fight fans. And and it just happens to this sport suits me right down to the ground. You know, the rounds are short. Uh, it's all action. It's all about being tough. It's all about pressing forward. And that's exactly what I do. Has this opened up more doors for future MMA fights, or are you feeling like this is your discipline of choice for the moment? No, absolutely. It's opened up a lot of doors for me in boxing, in MMA, everywhere. You know, I'm staying with Bare Knuckle FC, to be honest. No matter which turn my career takes, I feel I will always stay with Bare Knuckle FC uh, at some capacity just because th these fights are, are good for my soul. You know, I, I absolutely enjoy being in that uh, square circle. Uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible for me. But yeah, uh, coming back to your question, I do have a lot more opportunities now. This is just as you, as you can see, you know, uh, the, the, the bigger your profile, the more opportunities are. I mean, look at that boxing fight that just took place, Logan Paul versus KSI. Right. You know, these guys aren't even fighters, you know, and yet it was watched by the whole world. You know, I see it as a good thing. Why not? The more eyes, the better. I mean, now we see Logan Paul calling out Dylan Dennis. I mean, can we make that fight happen too? I mean, yeah, why not? If he wants to fight Dylan Dennis, you know, and, you know, if the money is right, I, you know, I, I always pride myself on being a guy that always fights the best, the toughest challenges. But at the same time, I need to fit my family. So if these guys want to put up a few, you know, a hundred thousand down towards me, I'm happily, I'm happy to fight any one of them. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Now you played such a big role by Conor's side in that, which was the biggest fight in UFC history when Conor McGregor and Habib Nurmagomedov fought at UFC 229. There was such bad love, bad, oh. bad uh, blood between camps, and you know, some people thought the the little skirmish you had with Habib at UFC 223 might have triggered some of that. Do you feel like there's still unfinished business there between teams? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, this it needs to be settled. You know, we, obviously I have to fight still, you know, Zobaira and, and Conor has to fight Khabib again. And then we will uh, settle it down the line. Uh, I know this fight will take place eventually, you know, hopefully in 2020. If not, then down the line. But I will for sure be interested in those fights, uh, you know, for as long as I fight. All right. What What is uh, uh, outside of what you mentioned, which is, look, this BKFC suits you better. Shorter rounds. You go in there and fight. 
what sort of allowed you to 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 kind of become a star in this sport? Have you adjusted to, to certain elements of the rules easier than other fighters? What's been the secret for you? Yeah, well, it's just I think the styles, you know, like you know, um, as you mentioned, you know, here there's number one, no grappling. Of course, that was a huge uh, benefit for me in MMA. If you ever watch my UFC fights, you know, I never really lost the stand-up fights. It was always guys taking me down to the ground. Even the strikers wanted to take me down to the ground and kind of lay, lay and pray and, and score points that way. So uh, as soon as you took that out of the question, well, that straight away suited me. I was able to be even more aggressive, come forward even more so. Really, you know, sit on my punches now, uh, not, not fear the takedown. So that, that's been the main kind of difference for me. Is it uh, hard in this sport to manage your knuckles and, and sort of ration the amount of punches that you throw, knowing that it's easier to break your hand? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, not for me. You know, when I'm in there, I don't care. I, I I sort of walk in knowing that, well, I'll probably end up breaking my hands or whatever. So I just, I know I'm in there for 10 minutes and I throw everything at that, that the other guy. And then whatever happens, happens. I deal with it after the fight. You know, I don't really think about will I break my hands or not during the fight. You know, I don't think about whether I'm going to get caught or anything like that. I'm in a war and I'm fighting and I, until that bell rings. Absolutely. I want to close with asking you, you know, Paulie Malignaggi brought his brand to BKFC and, and there was a lot of attention. You're becoming a star there. Is there another fighter out there in, in anything, boxing, MMA, entertainment, that's sort of your dream opponent for BKFC? Uh, for BKFC, you know, I, I want the biggest names. I would like to see some more of the, you know, uh, boxers crossover, you know. Uh, maybe, you know, someone like Adrian Bonner, you know, maybe Edna Khan, mm. if they want to fancy, you know, if they want to try it, because they always seem to kind of have a, have this uh, view towards MMA guys, like, oh, we, we don't do the real fighting or whatever. So maybe, you know, they want to try their hand at the bare-knuckle boxing. You know, I would be happy to welcome them in there. You know, I'll be waiting with open arms, and I promise not to hurt them too much. What about Connor? We ever going to see him go bare-knuckle? He would love to do it, you know. Obviously, he signed up to UFC, so that makes it difficult. But if it was up to him, you know, Connor loves loves the real knock. He loves the real fight. That's 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 why he is loved by so many fans around the world because he's a real fighter, and uh, I'm sure he would do absolutely well in in bare knuckle. Absolutely, can't wait for this Saturday, Biloxi, Mississippi, on pay per view. It's bare knuckle fighting championships nine. It's Artem Lobov. It's Jason Knight. Part two of the all-action rivalry. Artem, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you so much, Ray. I appreciate the time. Rose, uh, is there a reason to hate Artem Lobov? The guy, like, he he loves to fight. He loves BKFC because nobody's taking him down, and people have to stand up and fight and bleed and get cut and brawl. That's what he's about. Yeah, he's got 38 MMA losses and never deserved to be on the main event level, but... The guy brings it. So, nah, he, somebody going to bang with him? Yeah, they found somebody to bang with him. Yeah, he brings it, man. I've been I've been a fan of Lobov for a while. I'm actually a friend of Lobov, and uh, he's always been one of those guys who's just game. And um, sometimes I'm telling him, like, Yo, Artem, you know, I know you're game, and I know you like to just get down and scrap, but there's got to be more strategy in a fight. He's like, nah, I just want to fight, you know? <laughs> and, you know, but now he's he's found he's found something that he can just – Go out there and fight and let it just be about fighting. But, you know, the, the whole thing with this bare-knuckle boxing, man, these guys are cut from a different breed because, you know, when you're in there fighting and you start getting cut and your eyes start getting messed up, 
there's a party that wants to stop, but these guys go go beyond that and just keep going and going and let the whole face just get just beaten, just get mashed up and just keep mentally going forward. So hats off to these guys, man. I I, I can't do it. Even looking at Hick Diaz's face, you just see like the scars <laughs> on his like Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean their first fight in April was everything Artem said about it. It was. I mean, people loved it. People were grossed out about it. People were going, like, this can't be worth whatever they're making. It was just open that cut up and just bang. Lobov got the close five-round decision. We're seeing this fight again in Mississippi Means Backyard uh, because it's business, because it's a guarantee. I mean, that's what, you know, I asked Lobov what's going to be different in the second fight. Uh, nothing. He said, we're going we're gonna to bang, basically. So, uh, Brandon, this guy's a odd face of the of the franchise for them like I didn't think he deserved that win over Malinaji he says Malinaji ran of course he deserves it he's kind of their draw right now would you have ever guessed that no but I mean it just it kind of shows that it helps to be around stars because when you're in that light and then you are able to get some of that shine from Paulie in that in that big pay-per-view that they did it makes you a star because you survived <laughs> And you got the decision. I mean, Artem said the phone's ringing. Has that, he, we also have that great gif of him throwing the hammer punch from standing yes. up, which yes. always makes me laugh every time I see it. Um, he's, uh, he's been getting some MMA calls from this, but he's committed to BKFC at the moment. So uh, I guess carry on. Biloxi, this weekend, the rematch, what are you guys expecting the second time around? I mean, you got to give Jason Knight credit. They were willing to just have a – I mean, they had the kind of like – sewer fight where there's no police or security or teachers ready to break this up just go just go do it i mean i don't i don't even know how you break this down who whoever bleeds less what 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 do you got here for me rashad put on the analyst cap you you into this uh, would, will you watch yeah i'm gonna watch but it's gonna i mean it's, it's it's hard to break down i mean the truth of the matter is with these competitions it's hard because your hands are bare and all it takes is just one missed punch and next thing you know, you have one of your, your weapons down. So um, when you watch these bare-knuckle fighters, the good ones, they don't, they don't punch as hard as they can. The, the, the thing is, and the technique is just to touch. And you, and you want to punch where, you know, you remember how like the old school boxers had their hands and put their dukes up like the, like the fighting Irish? That's how you want to punch because when you punch at that angle, you have more surface area and you don't end up hurting your knuckles. So – those are those are the techniques to the bare knuckle. Now it's about who can handle that accumulation of damage. So I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with Lobov in this one. He he loves it. He loves the slop, man. He loves the pain, the cutting. He uh, he prefers it. He prefers the bare knuckle. It's wild. Um, I'm gonna read off to you the other fights of note on this card, and please share it with me your interest level. The co-main event is for both. The BKFC Heavyweight Championship and the Police Gazette Heavyweight American Championship. I think that comes up with a with a write up in the local paper. Chase Sherman, the champion, against Joey Beltron. Yen or you out on this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Joey Beltron, he bring it. You know, it's gonna be sloppy. It's gonna yeah. be one of them. Yikes. All right. Uh, how about this lightweight contest when Johnny Bedford takes on Charles Bennett, the damn crazy horse? Yeah, Felony like Bennett that. is I like back. That. I like that. I like that. Brandon, like that's your that. guy. I'm, that's just... I'm, a, I'm a crazy horse <laughs> fan, man. Now, listen, get ready to watch some 
antics, but more importantly, get ready to watch that power because he still has that power. He has the best one hitter quitter in the game. Yeah, he bangs. And, and the most and the most on call one hitter quitter. Like this dude can call his one hitter quitter. And like, <laughs> remember what he did to uh, KJ Noons? Yes, yes. How are you, bro? <laughs> That was a long-ass time ago. Somehow this man is not 40 years old yet. Uh, will you catch feels in this cruiserweight matchup when longtime bare-knuckle star and sometimes boxer Bobby Gunn takes on Phil Baroni? Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I love it, man. Why Phil, are we taking this seriously? <laughs> no, no, Phil Baroni is the truth, bro. I, I spent some time with Phil Baroni in Thailand. God, I trained what, alongside him in like? Thailand, man. He's bananas. Yeah, Phil Baroni doing wrestling, doing uh, doing a lot of stuff. Get ready for this weekend. <laughs> Lady, you're scaring us, indeed. Brandon, we watch we watch this all all seriousness. Will you watch it? Isn't it a pay per view? You damn right, man. BKFC nine, get in on it. I mean, I think I've got plans, and by plans, I mean doing anything but watching that. All right. Uh, we have a Bellator card this Friday, I believe, in Tel Aviv. Low profile, but how? What? This is kind of a weird matchup. Sergey Karatanov at heavyweight against Linton Vassal. Isn't that your three six five boy, Rashad? It sure is. Yeah. Heavyweight yeah. time against a against a true a true banger. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good fight too. You know, I think um, I think this is this is going to be one that. That kind of shows Linton what he's able to do. He hasn't been able to catch his his stride at heavyweight, but I think this is going to be the one that uh, let people know that he can he can do some work. All right, all right. The big fight card this weekend that we'll take notice of is Saturday, Sao Paulo, Brazil. How do you pronounce that? I I am the worst to begin with, but uh, Sao Paulo, Sao Sao Paulo. Where are we going with this? What are you doing? <laughs> Brazil, dude, the city. Sao, the city. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. I've Sao never Paulo. been able to pronounce it. I'm sorry, Brandon. I didn't insult <laughs> you and your peninsula friends down there. But uh, that's going to take place. Not a great card. Some interesting storylines here. The main event is one of them. Not Johnny Blachowicz. Jan Blachowicz, fresh off the knockout of Luke Rockhold. We thought he might be getting a title shot. No, he's getting a main event here against Brazilian legend Jacare Souza, who's moving up to 205. What do you think about this fight, uh, Rashad? I like it. I like it. I like it a lot, too, and I like it just because, you know, Jacare said in his last fight at 185 that he almost stopped fighting just because he started to have those, you know, competing issues. He just was like uh, he wasn't inspired anymore. He woke up one day and in tears, just didn't know why he was still doing it. You know, and it's the same thing we talked about with Rose. Sometimes you just get burned out. Sometimes you just don't want to do it anymore. And he reinvented himself. And now he's back at, you know, now he's at 205 making his debut. And I like it because with a new challenge, a new weight class, it can light that fire again. You know, this guy's been competing since he's been a little kid doing jujitsu. So all of that competition, all that mano y mano, all the dealing with the roller coaster of emotions that come with you when you have to face another man, that adds up. And sometimes you need a break. And I think that, you know, this break is going to be good for uh, Jacare. This is kind of an interesting matchup, and, and and I'll give Jan credit. He's rolling right now, Brandon. He's knocking fools out. He's got the striking together. I don't know what 205 Jacare is going to look like. I don't know what happens if this fight goes to the ground. Yeah, I don't either because, I mean, we saw Jan in, at 239 just being a banger in there against Luke, and 
He's got some wrestling base. He just never really needs it. And I don't think he needs to rely on it here, especially because I feel like Jacare on the ground is going to be a bad position for him. But, man, if if Jan wins this fight, does this even help his positioning for a title it's, shot? Yeah, it's, because it's almost weird in that regard. That It's like they, it's almost as if they told him, you're not next. You might not even be next after that. So here, here's a main event. Here's some main event money. Go Go fight a legend. I, th- I think this is a, a good fight for Jan, and, and because of the fact that Jan has one of the most sneakiest uppercuts that a lot of people do not see, and it's always in that transition that he comes forward that he makes people make the decision if he, you know are they going to stand and bang with him or are they going to shoot on him, and he always catches everyone with that uppercut because the way it comes, it drops out of the uh, the, the plane of view and it just comes out of nowhere and it catches everybody with it. I watch him do it time and time again. And Jacare is going to be feeling a little bit weird in there with guys that are bigger than him. So when you feel weird, you do stuff that, you know, you rush into techniques and that leaves them open for Jan uppercut. That's interesting. Uh, I feel like UFC is slow playing us here to the idea that win or lose, Jacare is probably going to fight Shogun Hua next because Shogun's in the co-main event against Paul Craig. Uh I'd move for that. I'd, I'd have some movement, Brandon. Give give me Jacare Shogun any day of the week, right? You do it in Bellator next time. I'm I'm down with it. Yeah, I, I'd love oh, to yeah. see it. Yeah, I would love to see. It. I mean, Paul Craig like just got sent to hell in June and came back with a nice submission win over Vincinius Morea in yeah. September. So, all right, Charles He's... Oliveira also on this card. But look, let's go down to that preliminary Hold card. On. That fight, that fight's really good. Dude. Oh, bring kick some shit, Brandon. What do you got? <laughs> No, Jared Gordon and, and Charles Oliveira, that's a banger. Jared Gordon was just in one of those absolute maniac brawls in his last fight, and Du Bronx is always out there to bust some skulls open. All right, well, the fight people are really talking about will take place on the preliminary card on ESPN Plus this Saturday when former Bantamweight champion, former pound-for-pound pound king, Dana once told me to my face, my guy, the Baron, the Baron era is not over. Henan Barrow is back riding a four-fight losing streak, having lost six of his last seven and seven of his last eight. Good God. Um, He's going to go in there against Douglas Silva de Andrade at featherweight. Um, You probably didn't prepare for this, Rashad, but humor me all the same. Is the Baron era at age 32 still alive? Tell me he gets through this test. Oh, man, I Good don't God, know, Luke man. Sanders knocked him out in February. What am I talking about? Please, there's still life, right? He could beat Douglas De Silva Andrade, right? Come on. I mean, I don't know. Here's the, here's the problem that makes it to beat Douglas De Silva Andrade is this right here, is Henan Barral has fought the best in the world. Henan Barral has headlined some of the biggest cards in the world. When you're used to being Henan Barral and you're used to having those blockbuster fights, it is really hard to get on the level to be motivated enough to fight a Douglas Silva Andrade on his level. So Douglas Silva Andrade is going to go into the fight feeling like he's fighting for the belt. And Henan Barral is going to feel like he's fighting for a place to stay in a sport if he doesn't really know if he wants to do anymore. Yeah, this is not – this is interesting. Um, I hate watching my heroes – 
die a slow death in front of me. But uh, hey, Faber came on the show and said uh, Usada was the biggest uh, the biggest opponent in Henan Barrow's fall. But that's just his take right there. Hey, are you into Sergio Mirage against James Krause? I, I don't hate that as a prelim main event as well. But uh, it's Team Barrow this weekend. Let's cheer for the Baron. Hopefully, he does make a comeback. Uh, we got anything else, Brandon? Before we shut this shut this ish down for one more week, what do you got? I got nothing, man. You got a flight to catch. Uh, Rashad, did you catch that YouTube crap over the weekend or what, bro? You you get in on some KSI Logan Paul on the zone? Did you? Did it? Oh bro? man, I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. Was it good or what? Was it? Uh, no, no. It, it was, <laughs> Does it, Logan Paul have a future or no? No, it was entertaining. If you were, if you got into the storyline, they did go all out. They went for it. There was controversy. There was a lot of stuff going on, but. Those people are lame. All right. I said it. I said it. YouTube people, they're just lame and weird. Who won? Um, Who won, though? Who won? Uh, KSI got the split decision win, but he got knocked down by a vicious uppercut by Logan Paul, in which the referee then docked Logan Paul two points in a six-round fight for holding his head with one hand and hitting KSI when he was, like, kind of down, but not really. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how you just drop a two-point deduction with no warning on somebody. So, I look, I didn't want to get this deep into it. I, I can't care anymore about that. <laughs> um, also, what I can't care about is Tyson Fury and um, Stipe going back and forth. Like, Stipe always picks the wrong times to do weird things. Like, dude, Stipe, it's time to talk about DC. It's time to talk about, like, the trilogy. Like, you're like this is a chance at history. This is everything. Stop saying I'd rather fight Tyson Fury. Stop. No, you know, no it, it's psychological warfare. And the reason why he's doing it is because when he was riding the pine, he was riding that loss, you know, DC made him feel like That's he was true. just no thing at all. Like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, this guy. You know what I'm saying? That's how he felt. So right now he's like, ah, I'm not even thinking about him. You know what I'm saying? He's returning a favor. Oh, you want to fight me now? Oh, well, we'll make you wait. Yeah. Get in line. You know? That's interesting. Are you guys uh, catching any feels for this now that we get closer to this December 7th war to end all wars in Combate Americas when Tito Ortiz faces former WWE champion Alberto Del Rio. Um, did you guys see that face off where they did the mock push and then Del Rio had like his old spinner WWE championship from like 2011 on his arm and Tito had like his old ass UFC belt from like 2002 on his arm? Like, oh my God. I mean, it was just sad. It really was just sad. He had his UFC belt? Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm going to watch that. that that crap of course i will but that's it's just it's weird right i mean i don't even think del rio's fought since uh since crow cop sent him to hell in uh pride like back in like the clinton administration like what are we doing i mean maybe maybe they're trying to go with a new uh genre of entertainment you know professional mma fighting where you know it's like professional wrestling but MMA. <laughs> yeah. All right. Chael did say know. it best, though. Tito always says I'm using my mouth to get my opportunities. The only person I know that made money using their mouth is his ex-wife. <laughs> oh, okay. Guys, just gonna leave there. All right. All right. Hey, it was good talking hey. to you. Uh, great show for this week. Follow us at State of Combat. <laughs> Shout out to Mikey Mormile doing the producing. Uh, follow Sugar Rashad Evans on Twitter, Instagram. I don't know. Maybe Hit him up on Tinder. I don't know where you're on these days. Any app you can find him. All right. Hit him up. Brandon Wise, good luck on the move, bro. All right. The next time you join this show, you'll be a Connecticut resident, correct? I will. And I don't even know if I'm going to be 
fully up there by next Wednesday. So okay, well, good luck to you. Um, you you you're driving. Get on 95. Just keep going, bro. All right, just keep keep <laughs> go going. To, go to the North Pole. You know, just keep going until you see the 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 gold and the green. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it indeed. Rashad, uh, can we are we looking out for you on TV? We're gonna see you anytime soon. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, no, not anytime soon. But I'll, I'll be around. Hit me up on IG, whatever the case may be. Shit is always yeah, around. Yeah, you want to fight Rashad? Bring him. Put put the put the contract in front of him. All right, he'll, he'll talk with his <laughs> people. Call Ali. All right, we'll make a deal. We'll make it happen. Indeed. Uh, that's it for the show this week. Thank you to Artem Lobov. Check out his slop this weekend. And for all you listening, I got two words for you. We out. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.